Well, folks, we've nearly made it. We've nearly survived the holiday season. I imagine that some of you will have gatherings this evening to ring in the new year, or some of you, like myself, will be completely content with climbing into bed at 10 o'clock and going to sleep. I don't know what your holidays look like, but I do hope that you were able to find moments of peace and opportunities to experience joy and share love and encounter hope. It is also a time of year where many of us have traditions and rituals that are important to us or to our family or to our community. Maybe you took part in some of these rituals and traditions over the course of the last month or so. Rituals are slightly different than tradition. These two words cannot be interchanged. A tradition is something that is carried on over generations, and it can be an individual tradition or a communal tradition. It can be sacred or secular. It can be serious. Traditions can even be funny. For example, in my family, we don't just get presents from family members or friends or Santa. We sometimes get presents from other Christmas characters like Rudolph or the Grinch or the Misfit Toys just to keep things interesting. But one year, our family was very confused because as we gathered around the tree and began to distribute presents, there was a gift under the tree from Elvis. <laughs> and this is because my dad was writing a gift tag that was supposed to say, to Kristen from Elves, but he misspelled the word Elves and wrote Elvis, and so every year there is always at least one gift under the tree from the king of rock and roll. <laughs> a tradition that might seem silly, and it is, but one that makes us giggle and smile nonetheless. Maybe your family has traditions that happen every year around birthdays or first days of school or certain holidays. These are important and meaningful, absolutely, but they're different than a ritual. In her commentary on today's passage, Reverend Cecilia Armstrong says that rituals are acts that are infused with meaning. Rituals hold profound significance in shaping our identities, our beliefs, and our connections with God and one another. Rituals are things like a child's dedication or a baptism, or a quinceanera celebration for the Latin American community, or the simple act of moving a tassel on a graduation cap from one side to the other as you receive your degree. Rituals commemorate milestones and transitions. They help us process change, celebrate achievements, and even find solace in times of uncertainty. Rituals are not always easy or pleasant, especially if they take place when someone dies or they require an individual to complete a test or a task of some sort. But even when they are difficult, rituals often help foster a sense of community and belonging. In our passage for today, Mary and Joseph are engaging in several rituals that are important to the Jewish community. In fact, throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is presented as being a good and faithful Jewish boy and then man. Because remember, Jesus was not a Christian. He was born and raised Jewish and therefore participated in Jewish customs and rituals throughout his life. The only time that Jesus does not follow Jewish law is when the Jewish law is used to subvert God's commandment of love. 
Jesus refuses to use the law to speak against loving your neighbor. And this happens several times throughout the Gospel of Luke. So often when we are reading these stories, we forget that Jesus was in fact Jewish and came from a Jewish family. And as a part of a Jewish family, Mary and Joseph observed and participated in Jewish customs and rituals, several of which are mentioned in our passage for today. The first takes place eight days after Jesus was born. Jesus is circumcised and officially given the name Jesus, just like the angel Gabriel said. We don't know a lot about this part of the ritual or how it went. Was it a big ceremony? I assume that Mary and Joseph were still in Bethlehem because Mary was a strong lady, but I don't know that she was ready to ride on a donkey to go back to Nazareth so soon after giving birth. Were Mary and Joseph surrounded by family members? Or did they have a quiet ceremony to avoid drawing attention to the somewhat scandalous arrival of their child? Normally, the ritual of circumcision and giving the name would have been a time of great celebration. But it's possible that Mary and Joseph still had some residual shame and worry about how they would be perceived. It may have been easier for them to have a private ceremony so that they didn't have to endure the whispers or the questions that were inevitably going to be asked. I wonder if they found comfort in this ritual, despite the fact that they were weary from being parents to a newborn and having to navigate their community's response to the arrival of their child. About a month later, the Holy Family travels up to Jerusalem to continue the practice of certain rituals at the temple. The first was the ritual of purification, which all women had to do after childbirth. This likely involved Mary going into the temple and immersing herself in the mikvah, or the ritual bath, as an act of purifying herself and her body. The second ritual was for Jesus to be presented to the Lord since he was the firstborn son in the family. All three of these rituals, circumcision, purification, and presentation, were and are important acts for Jewish families that mark an important transition in the life of the individual, the family, and the community. But while Mary and Joseph were in the temple to do something customary, they also encountered the unexpected. It's very likely that Mary and Joseph were not the only family in the temple that day that was presenting their child, but there was something about them that made them stand out to Simeon. Simeon was just your average old man temple member. People probably passed by Simeon all the time when they were in the temple, but they never really noticed him. Luke tells us that Simeon was righteous and devout and was a prophet because the Holy Spirit rested on him. But we don't know much more about Simeon or how he was perceived or received in this community. But on this day, the Spirit nudged Simeon to go to the temple, and when he arrives there, he sees Mary and Joseph and a tiny baby. We don't know much about their interactions, but I like to imagine that given that Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit and Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit and Simeon was guided by the Holy Spirit, that the three of them were drawn to one another. Jesus would have been a little more than a month old, but maybe when Simeon took Jesus into his arms, the baby went without fussing or complaining. 
Mary and Joseph were there for a ritual, something expected but significant. And then Simeon enters the scene, and this significant ritual becomes a memory they would return to again and again. When Jesus takes Jesus, when Simeon takes Jesus into his arms, he immediately begins praising God, giving thanks that God has stayed true to the promise that Simeon was given, the promise that Simeon would have a chance to see the Messiah. It was a joyous occasion, and Mary and Joseph were amazed at the things that Simeon had to say. But then the tone of their interaction changes. Simeon speaks directly to Mary and speaks about what the future holds for her and her child. He lets Mary know that her son will encounter great opposition and that it will not just be hard for Jesus to endure, but will be hard for Mary as well. Just a month ago, Mary was seated in a stable and she was hearing about the angelic visit from the angels to the shepherds. And she listened as the shepherds left that space and went out into the world, praising and glorifying God. And Mary pondered those words in her heart. But now, in verse 35, Mary hears the words that it will feel as if a sword has pierced her soul when the things that Simeon speaks of come to pass. I don't know if Mary knew that this would be the case. Maybe Simeon is the one who inspired the song, Mary, Did You Know? What is Mary supposed to do with this information? This tiny baby that she holds in her arms hasn't even begun his life yet, and now suddenly she is carrying these weary-filled words with her. A day that was supposed to be filled with joy and celebration with their faith community has now been changed. What ritual do we have for when you experience pain to your very soul? How does a community acknowledge the suffering of one of its members with actions that are more intentional than thoughts and prayers? In 2019, New York Times writer David Brooks wrote an article titled, There Should Be More Rituals. And the purpose of this article was to bring to light the fact that most often we focus on the big life-changing moments with over-the-top celebrations or extremely solemn moments like funerals. But we often don't create space for other moments of transitions in our life. Do we have a ritual for when a new family moves on our streets and we want to welcome them to the block? Do we have a ritual for when a family moves out of the house to help them say goodbye to the place they lived and the memories that they created in that home? What about a ritual for when someone is released from prison and welcomed back into society? Or a ritual for when a child sticks up for a classmate at school who is being treated unfairly? These may seem like everyday occurrences that just pass us by, but the reality is there are so many moments of transition and growth in our daily lives that we forget the small things and focus on the big things. It seems like rituals have lost their true meaning. But when done right and done in community with one another, rituals have an opportunity for us to remember that we are not alone. Whether the ritual is one that provides an opportunity to celebrate or one to mourn or even something in between, it allows us to make space for realistic things in life. 
Weddings and funerals and coming of age moments are important, but so are the things in between. The things that fill our every days and help shape us into the people we are. When Mary and Joseph showed up to the temple, they knew to expect a ritual of purification and presentation. These connected them to their ancestors of the past. And then they encounter Simeon and Anna, and through the words of these two prophets, they are suddenly connected to the descendants of their future. And even though the words they hear from Simeon are not necessarily easy to comprehend or process, they know that this will be a moment that they look back on and think to themselves, this is when everything changed. This is something that they would carry with them for the rest of their lives. We don't know if they shared Simeon's words with anyone else, but if they did, I think it would be safe to say that it would have made a world of difference to them if their community had a ritual act to help mark the hard news they received. They may not have felt better after this ritual, but they at least would have known they weren't alone. We find rituals in sacred and secular places, but many of them have their roots in a spiritual or religious context. Many organized religions began because there was a group of people who connected over similar rituals and identities and beliefs, and they wanted to form a community. And from these communities come more rituals and more connection. As a faith community, ritual is built into our DNA. We take time to acknowledge the life moments and transitions of those who are a part of us. Among our congregation, we participate in child dedications and blessing of the backpacks and bread for the journey and baptism and ordination. All of these are rituals that we take seriously and that are meaningful to those who get to participate in them and witness them. As a faith community, we have a unique opportunity to acknowledge not just the big life transitions, but the small ones as well. We have an opportunity to come together and to grow deeper in our connection in a world that is being pulled apart and divided more ways than we can count. Now more than ever, we need reasons to acknowledge that there are more things that connect us than divide us. We have a chance to be an example to the community and to the world around us about what it means to share in life together to root ourselves in rituals and to remind ourselves that we are not intended to walk through this life alone. So as we prepare to head into a new year and we prepare to begin a new chapter in the life of our church, how can we bring intentional meaning into our lives, even when the future is uncertain? How will we connect more deeply as a congregation and recommit ourselves to journeying together this year and everything that this year will bring. There will certainly be moments of weariness in the year ahead and moments of great rejoicing and lots of moments of normal in between. We will be shaped and formed by them in ways that we don't even know yet. When we look back one year from today on all the things that have happened this year, I hope we are all different. How will we acknowledge these moments that change us, that shape us and form us for ourselves and our neighbor? How will we as a community of faith let our actions show the world around us 
that connection and care is what we are called to do. As Christians and people who follow Jesus, my hope for us in this upcoming year is that we will find moments to root ourselves in ritual, to create opportunities to acknowledge the big moments and the small ones, that we will find ways to connect with one another so that a weary world can rejoice in the reminder that we are not alone. May we be makers of rituals and creators of connection so that this weary world will be filled with less loneliness and more rejoicing. May we be agents of change. May we be carriers of ritual. <laughs>